Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll hear from Freenow about the demands on the service and its ambition to go green. DC Callahan will talk about the reopening of the Irish tech social scene. And I'll be joined by the Director of Public Policy at Instagram, EMEA, to hear about the company's new supervision tools for parents. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. I'm also going to chat with Dorothy Craven of Rent the Runway about tech talent in rural Ireland as a result of the pandemic. But we are going to kick off this week with Instagram. As you mentioned on the show last week, TikTok introduced new tools to help kids understand their screen time. And this week, Instagram went one step further with an education portal for parents and new supervision tools. Tara Hopkins is the Director of Public Policy at Instagram and she joins me now. Um, Tara, you were with us earlier in the year to talk through some of the initiatives you were introducing on this front. But can you just talk us through what exactly you unveiled on Tuesday? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Um, so on Tuesday, we have announced uh, a comprehensive set of tools, building on a promise that Instagram made back in December to really raise the standard for protecting teens so they can have a better, more age-appropriate experience, as well as, importantly, supporting parents and guardians. So we have launched in, uh, in the UK and Ireland and soon to come across the rest of Europe, uh, parental supervision, parental and guardian supervision tools on Instagram. We have also really excitingly launched a parent centre, which cuts across the whole of Meta um, and an education hub to really help parents, guardians to understand um, what these supervisory tools are uh, on Instagram uh, with brilliant little editorial um, videos to show them how to use the supervisory tools. Um, And we're really encouraging both parents and teenagers uh, to use the parental supervisions on, on Instagram. I'm, I'm, I was going to say, I'm personally smack bang in the middle of this at home because I have a, a, a teenager. We have a 13 year old in the house in a couple of days time. And so we want to be able to give her independence while respecting uh, privacy as she's as she's growing up. So it's something that's very personal to me as well. Yeah, and I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of the, the respecting of the technology tools, but also of her space and the, the room to grow and so on. But the, the big thing for me is the education piece that goes alongside this, because as I've mentioned before, every single week we get emails into here Tech Talk or to the Pat Kenny show from parents saying that they feel a little bit powerless. And I suppose the education of technology has fallen between a few different stools over the last number of years. So is this something that Instagram and yourself and and the wider Meta team are going to be more proactive about um, as the technology continues to develop? So, yeah, we've launched the Meta Family Centre, uh, and this is across all of uh, all of, of Meta. And ultimately, what we want to be able to achieve is that there will be one simple place where uh, parents and teens can uh, find all the information they need um, uh, about Meta technologies and allow parents and guardians to help their teenagers to manage their experiences across all of our technologies. We do absolutely recognise that it can be daunting, um, which is why we've created the Family Centre 
And we've launched a dedicated ed education hub, which houses tips and resources for teens and parents developed in partnership with youth and expert groups such as uh, WebRise in, in, in Ireland and, and other organizations. Um, and this education hub will have resources from experts, helpful articles on social media usage, tips and on topics, how to talk to your teenagers about social media and video tutorials on how to use the, the new supervision tools on, on Instagram. Can you talk to me a little bit about the supervision tools and explain how they work and also how tech savvy a parent needs to be to utilize it? Yeah, so we've launched the tools back in the US, uh, a kind of version one back in, in March of last year. And what we've done this week is launched a version two of these tools, which is to a much wider, a much wider audience. I think what's important about the tool is that we ran consultations with parents, with young people and with experts, hearing separately from each of these groups to really understand what parents and teens alike actually want to, to see from a parental supervision experience on Instagram. And this tool will help to generate offline dialogue between parents and teens about these positive online experiences. So the parental supervision tool, I think what's really important about it on Instagram is that it can be initiated by both the teen and the parent. So in both cases, the other person has to accept the invitation. The parent does have to have an Instagram account, and, and this is important. We understand that supervision won't work if it's imposed upon a teenager. We really want to help and encourage offline discussions about the parent and the teen uh, can have a good supervisory experience. Um, I think what people will be most interested in is, is what comes with the supervisory experience. So the first thing is that it's very easy to, to, to opt into, as I said, both the parent and the team can initiate the experience. Um, and it covers three main themes. So screen time, reporting, and connections. And really quickly, so what screen time means is that the, the, the teen account, the parent or the guardian can, um, can see how much time their teenager is spending on, on, on Instagram each day. And importantly, they can help that teenager to manage the time by setting daily time limits uh, and by scheduling breaks specific periods of time where when they don't want their teenager to be on on Instagram so that's the first thing and it's really simple um, and there's a step-by-step -step guide on the education hub to show parents how to, to set set this up but it is actually really really intuitive so even if you're not particularly au fait with social media I think it's a very very simple way uh, of setting this up um, the second part of it then which is important is about um, is focused on reporting. So we give teens the ability to let their parents or their guardian know if they've reported someone and what the person has been reported for on Instagram. So as part of this updated uh, suite of tools, we now let the parent know what uh, what account their teen has reported and what the policy is that's been violated. So a parent will be able to see that their teenager has reported someone for bullying and harassment on Instagram, and they're able to then chat to their young person offline about what, what's, what's happened, what's the experience been, and hopefully we've been able to give them uh, help and support in, in whatever that experience has been on Instagram. And then the final part, uh, which is also really important, is connections. So these supervision tools, um, parents and guardians can see who follows their team and who their team themselves follow. And also they'll get a notification when their team gets a new follower. So the parent can see this. Um, and it does allow for the parent to be able to see some of the experience that their young person is having on Instagram, but allowing for that young person to have a private uh, experience on Instagram and, and to have some autonomy in their social media. 
Is this something that parents should become okay with if they're at the stage that you are now? So your daughter is about to turn uh, 13. Is this something that parents, you know, when their kids ask to, to join Instagram, that they sit down and they do this rather than, you know, when trouble arises, if the child is 15, 16 and trying to retrospectively add this in, you know, is it best practice to maybe get ahead of it and have these conversations and normalise the conversation of, well, who are you following and why are you following them so that it becomes completely normalised and then if something arises, you know what to do. We would really strongly encourage parents and uh, and young people to be able to have these conversations well before they ever uh, download an app uh, like Instagram. And, and we're really hoping that these supervisory tools that we've built on Instagram will help to facilitate those conversations. We do know that it's daunting. We do really want to build something that is intuitive for parents, is intuitive for teens, uh, that strikes that balance between allowing for the parents to better understand the experience that the young person is having on Instagram, while also allowing for that young person to have uh, the privacy um, and, and to respect their, their privacy and to respect their autonomy uh, on, on Instagram. So we're striking the right balance, but we're certainly really strongly encouraging, uh, uh, hopefully through the tool, for better conversations um, about how young people are using are using. Instagram. There's also on the education hub a whole lot of other tips uh, about not just about uh, about Instagram but across all of the meta technologies. Um, but one of the other things that we've been doing for quite a long time now is that when a young person joins Instagram, if they're under the age of 18, we will be defaulting them into a private experience on Instagram. And I think that's also really important. So we want parents to have confidence in Instagram that it is a good place for their young person to be spending time, um, and as well as for the young person to have confidence that they have they have a right to privacy and and that they have autonomy while they're using Instagram and other social media apps. Another initiative that's part of this is uh, the nudge. So you are nudging teens when it comes to, you know, if they're delving too deep into one topic and so on. Explain a little bit about how that's going to work. Yeah, this no, this is a really interesting um, uh, use of kind of nudge technology that we've we've talked publicly about before, but teens will now start to see a notification that encourages them to switch to a different topic if they're repeatedly looking at the same type of content on Explore on Instagram. So the nudge is designed to encourage teens to discover something new, um, though we will exclude certain topics that may be associated with appearance comparison, for example, beauty or fitness. And we've designed the new feature because our research really has shown that um, it's very effective for helping people, especially teens, to be more mindful of how they're using social media in the moment. Um, We know that nudges on social media can be very effective. We we know that um, young people agree and strongly agree that nudges can make their, their social media experience a better one. So we're really hoping that this alternative topic nudge um, will have a positive experience on for young people using using Instagram. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of scepticism, I suppose, about um, not just Instagram, but different social media companies doing things like this, you know, taking initiatives to try and police the, the platform a bit better or, or help users monitor and manage their own time. Is this something that you are actively researching from a user point of view, from a parent point of view, from a platform point of view to try and find that happy medium? Because obviously you're a business, so you do want people using the platform, but there does have to be that healthy barrier there. 
We are a business, absolutely, but we're deeply, deeply committed to uh, the safety of, of young people. We want young people to be having a, a positive experience across all of our all of our family of apps. Um, and another, I think, an exciting announcement that were made this week is um, announcing details about how we are incorporating the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child into how we're building our products across across the meta technology. So the convention, the UN Convention, emphasizes the best interests of the child. And what we're doing is we have built a framework um, with six key considerations for all of our teams to have in mind as they're developing products for those who are under the age of 18. And these six considerations include things like engaging young people and parents using our products or promoting youth autonomy while considering the rights and the duties of parents and supporting youth privacy in all of the decisions that we make. Um, so we are absolutely looking at this through the lens of the best interest of the child uh, and all of our product teams, no matter you know, where they are sitting with across the Meta family, um, will have this framework to work with as they're building products in the future for those who are under the age of, of 18. Great stuff. So again, just remind parents listening, if if they're not on any of these platforms at all, but they want to engage and they want to be uh, educated and benefit from the research that you have done, where can they go and figure out, um, you know, how best to, to navigate their child's journey on Instagram? Yeah, so the Meta Family Centre is this new space that's been um, that's been created for parents and guardians. So just go into Google um, and Google the Meta Family Centre. It's very easy to find and it's really, really easy to navigate. Um, and as I said, our vision is for this family centre and the education hub to be a place where parents and guardians can come and find all the information they need, both in terms of kind of these types of new supervisory tools that we're building across both Instagram and, and meta technologies, VR technologies as well, where we're also gonna be launching parental supervisions um, and be able to find all the information that they need uh, in one really easy place. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, Tara, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks for your time. Yeah, that was Tara Hopkins, Director of Public Policy at Instagram. I would love to hear from you. What do you think of these things? Are you a parent? Does it go far enough? Is there anything else you would like to see that you think would be beneficial from a parenting in the digital age point of view? Uh, techtalk at newstalk.com is the email address. Uh, when we come back here on News Talk, I'll take you inside Dublin Tech Summit 2022 and we'll hear from DC Callahan on the tech scene post pandemic. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, Dublin Tech Summit took place in the RDS on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. There was the usual mix of startups and speakers across the RDS main hall. And I went along on Wednesday afternoon. Here's who I met. DC Callan, I'm the director of First Fridays for Startups at Dogpatch Labs in Dublin. Uh, DC, we're here at Dublin Tech Summit. There seems to be uh, mumblings of the tech scene reopening post-pandemic. We have a lot of the meetups. Is Dublin back open for business when it comes to the startup scene? Oh, definitely. I mean, for somebody who works in it, you know, over the last couple of months, we've been seeing, you know, more people, more meetups. I think, you know, something like the Dublin Tech Summit, it's just, it's kind of intensified that again. I mean, you know, the amount of people that even myself I've met over the last 24 hours that I haven't seen literally in three years. I feel like I've seen them recently, but then I just realized, no, that's just because I'm interacting with them on Twitter. It's not that we've actually met face to face. But yeah, there is, um, there's so much good stuff going on in Dublin at the moment. And not ju- actually not just in Dublin, but across the entire country. Um, definitely tech is back in a big, big way. Like, 
we mentioned um, you know the startups, the meetups, and, and so on that go on. How tough is it for startups to get back together and to get out into that ecosystem? Because a lot of small businesses might have been on the cusp of getting slightly bigger just before COVID hit, or maybe ideas were born out during the pandemic. So companies haven't had the opportunity to tap into something like Dogpatch, for example. Is it a bit of a struggle and what can we do to try and facilitate that uh, introduction to the scene? Yeah, I mean, I think I think definitely in the early days of COVID, you know, you had just an absolute wipeout, obviously, because, you know, if, if you didn't, a lot of startups, obviously, they start their businesses, they're pre-revenue, they don't have incomes, they're relying on investors, and a lot of that activity kind of slowed down to a certain degree. But I think what, what we're finding in Dogpatch is that COVID also was a massive kind of a reset time, you know, sadly, because you didn't have a lot of time, you weren't traveling you weren't doing this a lot of people really turned inwards and got really really focused on their business really really focused on their ideas and now that kind of the world has opened back up like you're, i'm finding definitely a lot of the entrepreneurs we interact with an awful lot more driven like we we just finished uh, in in dog patch we run ndrc the national startup accelerator program and we just finished our applications for the next cohort and the level the the level of that uh, we had about 300 applications i think and the level of companies it was just so much sharper than it has ever been in previous things. You know, the business models were sharper, the customer things. Obviously, the time that they had over COVID was spent really well, valuably. I also think, and this is just anecdotal, that a lot of people who had an idea used the time, as you said, during the pandemic to think about it, but also as a result of the pandemic are feeling a bit braver and say, well, look, you have to seize the day and all the rest. Maybe now is the time to go for it. I've put it off for five, maybe even 10 years. And I should just put myself out there and see where I end up. Yeah, somebody said to me, you know, it's like we always talk in Ireland about, you know, saving up things up for the rainy day or like we'll get around to that and stuff like that. Like COVID was such a reset because, I mean, it was just such a, a global surprise to everyone that I think it it made everybody kind of, you know, everybody individually went and said, OK, well, I can't just assume anything now. Like if there's something I really want to do, I should go and do it. And I think in particular with startups, you know, there, there was just that thing that people with ideas suddenly went, you know, they, the whole work from home thing happened, you know, it just got easier to do stuff. And I think that's resulted in a lot of people trying stuff for the first time. Like I know when you look across the country at things like the local enterprise boards have been massively busy. Things like, you know, the university, the New Frontiers programs in the universities. We, we our own in, in NDRC, our own pre-accelerator programs like and founder weekends and activities. Like the really early stuff, that's all really kicked off now again. Like, and I, I think... I think it's like I think we in the next 12 months we're going to see more startups and better startups than we've ever seen in Ireland. And is there enough supports there to nurture them through that 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 period because I feel like we had the startup support thing down pre-covid. There was plenty of information, there was a really solid network, there was the want and the will of others to engage and nurture them. But obviously a lot of businesses and a lot of industries are under pressure now. So are we in a position to nurture all these companies that will come through over the next few while? I think I think what will happen in Ireland is is what what has happened all over the world. I think if you have a good idea and a good business, it will get easier. I think like it, it's maybe a little bit positive. Like if you have a terrible idea that shouldn't exist in the world, maybe it'll fail faster. And I, I think you know one of the great things in, in in Ireland in general, we were always utter victims of the, you know, when somebody failed once, you'd never give them another opportunity. So many good people failed in business over COVID and it was nothing to do with them. So like my own perspective is like I, I think we've I think we've cracked a little bit of that notion. I think people are willing to give 
entrepreneurs a second shot and a second chance. And like from from the mindset of an entrepreneur, that's so important. Like if you feel like this is your one shot, you know, sometimes it can be a bit paralyzing. If you kind of feel like, look, I'm going to do this idea, no matter what happens, I'm going to learn a lot. Um, because you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, the most successful startups out there, it's very rare that it was the founder's first go at something. Yeah. You know, they, they, there's a reason why this term serial entrepreneur gets used a lot. You, you'll never learn, you know, the first time that you have to close business down, the first time you have to leave somebody go, the first time that bad stuff happens to you, that will never happen to you again. And your second startup will always be more successful. And I think we're slowly developing that culture. And I mean, you know, I think even in things like the universities and, and Enterprise Ireland and the state agencies, they the work they've done over COVID as well, like the, there's a noticeably different mindset in terms of how they approach all this sort of stuff. I think I think in particular, say with, with, with my realm, which is, you know, high potential tech startups, you're seeing a lot of division now between, you know, I, I guess the governments are starting to realize that what works for SMEs doesn't necessarily work for, for high-tech startups. And I think that was probably born out of their experience over COVID when you had what works for hospitality didn't work for this crowd or didn't work for that. So I think government are starting to get nuanced about how they support stuff. And if they keep down that track, things are going to get very exciting. Remind us again a little bit about the work that you're doing um, in Dogpatch because we have spoken to you wearing numerous hats over the yeah. years and we might touch upon some of those shortly yeah. but just tell us what it is that you're doing and how you're going about it in Dogpatch. Okay, so Dogpatch Labs is the largest startup and innovation hub in the country. We house about 600 startups right smack in the middle of the CHQ building right in the Docklands um, and essentially we, we have a, a co-working space where businesses come in and work from, we have an innovation lab and then a couple of years ago we were lucky enough we won a government tender to run the NDRC which is the National Startup Accelerator Programme. In my own particular role I run a project called First Fridays for Startups. So First Fridays for Startups uh, was reminding you the other day it's a bit like the Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. Every 30 <laughs> days I basically put on a conference. So we take an event where we run panels, we run uh, keynotes and we also run mentoring sessions for startups. And literally what we do now is it happens on the first Friday of every month and it rotates around the country. So last month we were in Cork, we were in Kerry before that, we were in Galway. This month actually we're back on home turf in, in Dublin. The one really interesting factor in it is, is that we're using it as a way to leverage one of Ireland's key advantages, which is the presence of you know, more FDI technology companies than anywhere else in Europe. So we've signed up uh, employees of companies like Google, Salesforce, HubSpot, Microsoft, um, Logitech. And on, essentially on the first Friday of every month, these, the employees in these companies give up, their, give up two hours of their time to coach and mentor startups. So you're getting, you know, from these big companies who have a big, you know, who have an amazing skill set, but also have a very global perspective. You know, the teams here in Ireland are obviously facilitating stuff out into the world. So what we're finding amazing is, you know, connecting up, you know, a, a small startup in Kerry, with you know somebody who works uh, one of our mentors Emerald DeLouis she's the global head of privacy for Logitech so you know for a startup that wants to understand what are their privacy concerns they're literally getting them one of the world's top experts and they're getting them for time and they get to ask them their questions but what the, what the mentors are brilliant at is they're brilliant at getting the, the Irish startups to think more about what's out in the world that like you know what works in what works in Kilorgan may not work in Cork, may not work in anywhere else. So they need to start thinking about that big picture out into the world. And, and like we're, as I said, we're halfway through the year now. We have a bunch, we do it every single month. And it's like, um, we're finding it's just this amazing sandbox for, for people who don't know anything about the startup ecosystem. They can come along to the event now in person as well as dialing in virtually. So we're getting, you know, two to 300 people attending these events, taking part in the mentoring, listening to last month we had 
John and Joe, two founders from Work Vivo down in Cork, one of our, one of our, uh, our very significant startups down there. And, you know, you just have all these founders coming in, sitting in a room and hearing firsthand, you know, this was our experience of getting started. So I think it's, you know, it's the storytelling element of the ecosystem, you know, and it's, it's just it's so much fun to be involved in. And when you look at the list of speakers that you have, or even if you just go through the big Irish companies and the people who've come through as Irish success stories, there's a wealth of talent that's there. But what I've noticed in the 10 years or so I've been talking about tech is that a lot of those brilliant brains are only too happy to share their experience and to mention mentor people and tell you the bad as well as the good but highlight you know that there are ways out of whatever problem you're facing it is you know what it, it's it's I, I i often refer to it as it's ireland's superpower right and i wish more startups and more founders realized it that i mean even when i was getting started you know many many years ago i got started because i heard this guy in Cork called pat phelan who was doing interesting stuff and we had just joined this nascent platform called twitter and I, you know, I, I sent him a DM saying, I'd love to meet you for a cup of coffee sometime. And then I learned about Pat's hatred of the phrase, meet you for a cup of coffee. But I mean, the one amazing superpower we have is Irish people are like the world over. You know, I, I used to joke years ago, if you were ever going to raise money in, in Silicon Valley, uh, Irish people had a distinct advantage because, you know, everybody else, you know, every VC company in the Silicon Valley has, you know, five or six meeting slots a day. Irish people are the only ones who can say to them, I know you're busy all day, you know, could I meet you for a pint after work? But I think if, I, if Irish founders understood the, the wealth of experience and knowledge that's in the network, and I mean, you know, we're there now today in, in Dublin Tech Summit, and we've got we had two of Ireland's unicorns, Flipdish and Wayflyer, on stage. They were just giving, they were literally telling it all. And at the end of the thing, you know, there was a whole bunch of founders came to the side of the stage. The guy stood there for 20 minutes answering like individual little questions and stuff. I think, you know, for most Irish founders, if they've been successful, they've got some scars and battle wounds. I think it's in an Irish person's nature to kind of not let somebody else learn, you know, not let somebody else experience the same mistake we did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can't let you go without asking you an Apple question. Because, <laughs> you know... Because, yeah, it's me. It's you, obviously. Uh, we've seen quite a bit from them in the last little while, from the new design of the MacBook Air to the sneak peeks of iOS 16. I know the answer to this question, but are you excited about it all? Oh, yeah. It's funny. It's, you know, I mean, I mean, it's it's strange that, you know, one of the interesting things when I joined, uh, when I joined Dogfetch Labs, you know, I got my work laptop. It was my first time having an M1 chip, you know. Oh. Um, and look, you know, like, like obviously as a, as a Cork person, you know, with Apple being the city's largest employer now, and I think they just recently announced another 1,500 jobs, I'll always be pro-Apple. But look, what I love about Apple is, you know, some people would give out that you know they're not reinvent you know they're not creating massive inventions but i mean what they hyper focus on is just utility you know the battery life of everything is getting better i do think um you know i do think obviously the next couple of years are going to be massively interesting whether the, you know everybody knows they're getting into the whole vr and AR and mixed space and stuff i i think um like i'm really i'm really i'm really excited about the end of this year um and i think next year is going to be a transformative year for apple i think also you're going to see a lot of new blood in apple next year i think a lot of the the traditional older guard who are leading you can see you know as a, as a market here you can see apple positioning new people you know to take up new leadership roles and stuff like that so i think we're going to see a little bit of a, a spin over the next two years with apple but like yeah as you said i'd, I'd say all that anyway you know even you if won't. they were <laughs> so the apple is still ingrained on your the heart apple is still ingrained yeah i'm still 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 stuck with them yeah <laughs> my name is dorothy creven i am vp managing director and site lead of rent the runway just remind us what rent the runway is so rent the runway it, let's start that again 
Rent the Runway is uh, the creator of the world's largest designer closet. So we are an e-commerce uh, tech company uh, based, our headquarters is in New York and we have an R&D center in Galway as well where we've hired a bunch of software engineers working on some really cool tech, tech challenges and we've been there about three years now. So our customers can rent items a la carte, they can subscribe or shop resale from over 800 designer brand partners. So you kind of have been ahead of the curve on a few different uh, trends that we're seeing now. So firstly, the sustainability model and the affordability model of being able to rent clothes. We're seeing that pop up elsewhere, but also that decentralized way of working. So the, the HQ in New York, but then based in Galway, which is not wasn't previously an obvious tech city. How has that worked from a tech talent point of view and ensuring that you have access to the brains and the power that you need for an R&D center? Yeah, well, I think Galway's had a long-standing history of being like a very medtech-focused uh, kind of city. And then there were also the more telecoms-based kind of companies like the Avias, the Cisco's, the Nortel Networks. And I think over the last few decades, it's really evolved to have more types of businesses like Rent the Runway, such as like e-commerce businesses, others that are more in the lines of like uh, globalization companies. So really what we've seen is the, in the last two years with the pandemic, uh, people have gotten so used to working remotely. And by coming back into the office now, we're also looking at that hybrid model and having people both you know, work in the office for two days a week, but also continuing to work from home. So I think the tech talent market has really kind of opened up for us. So we have more and more people, say, commuting to the office just for those two days, and they go back to their um, homes. It could be in Sligo, it could be in Limerick. And that's been a nice kind of diverse way for us to also hire. So we still have a big cohort of people who are living and working in Galway City. Um, but I think through hybrid working, you're really giving people more choice, more of an opportunity to decide where do they want to live, like where's their home going to be based, where can they afford to live, do they want to, are they comfortable with commuting on a longer commute potentially for one or two days a week versus like do they want to be living in the city centre of Galway and you know having a very very short commute to the office when they're there. And in your role, I, I, I'm sure as great as it's been to kind of get people back together, there's a lot of plates spinning at the moment and, you know, sliding together of pieces of the jigsaw to ensure that you're ticking the box of getting the work done, but also satisfying your, your, your team and the people who work for you, because we are seeing a bit of a shift in terms of people are realizing now what mattered before doesn't matter now and they want to have that flexibility. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of learnings that have come out especially in the last six months so we're back in the office people are, are in two days a week and I think people are still relearning how to be in an office again um, and it, I think people are actually also remember reminding themselves or getting reminded that actually people need to be around people as well so going for coffee going for lunch um, you know grabbing a pint after work it really lends itself to building real community and friendships and just discussing like you know tough technical challenges like stories boarding out creating ideas creating solutions and I think that's done better in person now there's definitely a, a case that people can get some really deep work done at home and if they have that bit of extra quiet time and they're not kind of in an office environment and I think it's about finding what works best for everyone everyone is so different and I think we're like gone are the days where you can just generalize and say everyone needs to be in the office five days a week or everyone like has to like working from home because we've really seen the more people come into the office and use the office 
uh, the more that they actually really enjoy it as well. Um, so we really started focusing on creating in-house events uh, to get people kind of coming back in and like having a bit of fun together. Like I installed a, our Guinness keg, right? Best thing ever, right? So people really like coming in, pulling a pint of Guinness, especially people that have never worked in a bar before that maybe have never really drank Guinness. And, you know, there's a bit of crack in that as well. And I think really getting to the root of people enjoy being around people and getting to know people we had a lot of people join during the two years of the pandemic our workforce actually doubled uh, in Galway during that time so there was a lot of people who didn't know each other and so we had the first kind of group of people who started pre-pandemic and then almost like the second group in the middle of the pandemic and actually creating opportunities for them to meet each other is really important you know yeah, and the other thing that kind of comes with being together and having the crack is company culture, identity, being proud of where you work. It's not just another Zoom room where you could be in any company and anywhere in the world with a different colour background. So how have you gone about ensuring that those new hires in particular know who and what they work for? Yeah, so we've put a lot, a lot of thought and effort into remote onboarding. And that. so we, we still do an element of that even now that we're back in the office. And that's, that enables people to really understand our service, which is only available in the US. It also uh, illustrates like our massive warehouse. So we have like some online content that really works well. So it doesn't mean people still need to get on that first plane and go straight over to New York. Um, but then on the flip side, it's like you're meeting people in person. So we have a certain element of onboarding, which is definitely in person as well. So you're meeting your manager, you're sitting down, you're grabbing that cup of coffee with people. Um, so I think again, that the, the two kind of work, work well together. And then really it's about like creating opportunities where you're also um, ensuring that people who are fully remote are also included. So having a remote first type culture so that if there's a group of people in, in a meeting room and there's two people on Zoom, everyone still has like is logged into their laptops. They're actually, you know, in their Zoom meeting themselves. But then, you know, the audio's off so you can actually see everyone in the room and actually see everyone equally who's remote or, you know, working from home that particular day. I think it's about inclusivity and really understanding, look, we have to remember that we don't want to go back to the way it used to be, which was like, you know, a bunch of people in one room with really bad audio. And then there's one person that I call the floating head on the wall, which is like that person feeling extremely excluded and just looking to see how we can be creative about getting everybody feeling like everyone's on on a par and an even playing field in a meeting. From a business point of view, would you say that the new approach by some to the, the way of working now gives greater access to talent, you know, gives companies greater access to tech talent in other parts of the country, maybe people didn't want to live in a big city, so they counted themselves out of working for some of the big players around the place. Uh, do you think that this is a bit of a leveller in terms of equal opportunities now, regardless of your postcode? A hundred percent. I mean, our ask is that most people are in the office like one or two, two days a week, realistically. So you could pick Mondays and Thursdays and you could commute a longer distance on both those days. And we've seen that actually works incredibly well. And then you can work from home the three days a week. So I think it, it opens up Ireland as a talent pool, as opposed to only needing to recru recruit within a commutable distance of, say, Galway City. But we've also kind of learned from the last two years as well. So in August, everybody gets to work remotely, which is fantastic. Yay. And that's a great way for people to go somewhere else. And it could be somewhere else in Ireland. It could be somewhere else outside of Ireland. And I think it actually gives a nice balance to, well, do I really like working remotely? Oh, look, I can do this in August. Summer Fridays are a big one for us as well. So every summer, every Friday during the summer months, June, July, August, um, I had to remind myself which were the summer months there. But people can stop working at 
one o'clock you know so you have a longer weekend you're actually finding like what you want to do again outside of work because I think people were used to working longer hours during the pandemic firstly because like we all wanted to prove that we were still being, being productive but secondly everything was closed and there wasn't really a whole lot else to do and you end up like signing up to more meetings or working longer hours and now it's about kind of giving some of that time back to people as well. Uh, my final question, I think I ask you every single time that we talk, but is there any sign of Rent the Runway coming to Ireland? Unfortunately, not right now, not at this time. So we're still servicing our US market. Um, you know, our customer base is growing every day and it's not to say it won't happen in the future, but for now, it's not really on the cards. Awesome stuff. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks so much, Jess. Yeah, that was Dorothy Craven of Rent the Runway. And before that, we heard from DC Callahan at the Dublin Tech Summit in the RDS. When we come back here on News Talk, we'll hear from the Head of Operations at Freenow. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, before the break, I took you inside Dublin Tech Summit and we met DC Callahan and Dorothy Craven of Rent the Runway. But one of the other companies that was present is taxi firm Free Now. I caught up with Fiona Brady, the head of operations at the company, and I started by asking her with some of the issues relating to demand in our cities at the moment. Yeah, so I suppose if we, if I were to say to you, you know, um, we had one trip every 14 seconds, you might think that was a lot, but that was nearly 10 years ago now. So the current stat is actually one trip every two seconds. So that's the level of demand you're talking about at the moment. We've been committed to the Irish market for 10 years, and we've seen a lot of players um, come and go and you know we look we welcome competition it's all about choice for for, for drivers and um, the consumer uh, in terms of like the challenges around uh, drivers at the moment you know look there's obvious reasons that, as you said I've been discussed in the media around COVID around how that has impacted business now look demand is rising and um, we're doing as much as we can to incentivize drivers we've spent approximately quarters of a million every year for the last four or five years on our online training platform which actually helps uh, drivers it's a free platform for them but it actually helps them train to pass the test so one of the things you know we've surveyed our drivers and we found out that they would recommend the majority would recommend taxi driving as a career um, and it's something we forget actually to promote potentially um, and, and we need to do a better job at, at that as well in terms of the industry not just not just free now um, and it does offer you know flexibility it offers work-life balance you know drivers could be their own boss so there's a lot of benefits to it as a career and there's been a lot of talk recently as well about the embracing of electric vehicles and going greener and even today when I was on my way here to the RDS I had the option of booking an eco um, mode taxi which is really interesting how much of a passion point is that for the company and is this something good that we're going to see more and more of oh yeah absolutely like the, the, the future of transport is sustainable and it's shared uh, we've got some really ambitious company targets you know uh, we aim to have 50% of all our trips in EVs by, uh, by 2025 we're going to be the uh, first net zero uh, mobility platform by 2030 so you know really high ambitions uh, the country here has a lot of uh, great ambitions in two in terms of you know getting one million uh, EV vehicles on the on the streets that's a that's a great target for taxis in particular and um, so if you're gonna you know transition a fleet make it um, 
make a fleet that's out there working hard, you know. Uh, so EVs are the perfect uh, fleet, fleet and car to target. Um, over the past year and a half, as you mentioned, we've introduced the Eco Fleet. Uh, we've run a series of EV roadshows. We've got all the OEMs on board. We had one here in the RDS actually just before Christmas um, to give drivers all the options, show them the benefits of driving EVs and, and how it can make better business for them as, as business people. And it does come back to it being a business from the driver's point of view and from a free now point of view. The cost of EVs, the cost of being, you know, paying on uh, per job and so on, it does all add up from a driver's point of view. Is there anything, are there incentives there for the drivers to try and help their bottom line as well as the free now bottom line? Yeah, there's actually been a fantastic grant available for the last, um, well, for two years running now. Um, so the Department of Transport have um, made available funding for up to, on average, about €20,000 uh, per driver for a vehicle. So should they meet the criteria, which is fantastic you know um, deal for anyone who's trying to get into an EV it makes perfect business sense to avail of something like that your maintenance costs are going to be down your servicing costs are going to be down so yeah massively uh, great 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 concept and so popular you know it's been eaten up um, I think that in, in free now we're actually kind of trying to make sure drivers are aware of those, those grants those options like that you know we've um, committed uh, six million to home charging grants to match the SAI one and um, so that to make sure that they have all the kind of equipment I suppose they need to go with that and driving eco taxi but you know passenger demand for eco is, is just growing and growing people want you know people believe that businesses should be the ones to provide options for greener greener choices and, and that's what we're going to do we're going to offer that out to, to passengers to make that choice you mentioned at the top there about mobility options, so not yeah. just taxis. Yeah. Um, how realistic is it that those offerings will be here in Ireland sooner rather than later? Is legislation a key player in that or you know, what can we expect and do we have a timeline? Yeah, so, um, well, I suppose, first of all, um, we, we actually do have a live trial in DCU with scooters in the FreeNow app, so you can actually already access it. So if anyone's out in the area, you can actually go on campus and you'll be able to um, trial a scooter uh, through the FreeNow app. Um, yeah, hopefully, excited to say that, you know, we will see scooters um, early in the, the new year next year. So the, the legislation has gone through, but they're still working on the on the regs to actually just make sure everything's uh, right. Um, I think, look, it's been a long time coming, but we're in a lucky position in Ireland that, you know, being first always isn't the best. We can look at all the other different European countries. We can look at how we operate in other, with other partners and we can take the best bits, the best things that's worked um, and, and implemented in Ireland. And I suppose the main thing is that they're rolled out um, safely as well for, for all the consumers. Looking at the app and looking at the changes that have happened over the last number of years, one of the things that came in after, I believe, feedback from drivers was uh, cancellation fees. So, for example, if a driver is on the way to you and then you hit cancel, you, there is a charge there. How has that gone down and is there any other charges like that, again, looking to protect the driver and protect their income over the next little while? I suppose um, in terms of like driver costs, and you mentioned overheads for drivers who aren't in EVs, there is rising fuel costs, uh, there is like the maintenance of their car, and if they have are out on out on a shift and they've driven x many kilometres to get to you, and then you suddenly cancel, like that's a cost to them. So it's it's really you know it's a way to compensate that that part of um, that journey for them. Mm-hmm. Um- the other story that is doing the rounds, and again it ties into to you guys, is in relation to the airport. So we've seen huge issues at Dublin Airport over the last little while. Uh, there's also been a lot of questions, I followed it online, about uh, the taxi ranks, the pickup and the drop-off at Dublin Airport. Have your drivers been impacted? Have you had any feedback in relation to that? 
Well, I suppose there's there's um, the two operations in Dublin Airport at the moment. Like obviously there is the the taxi ranks that they have and the. DAA uh, drivers, um, permit drivers are, are, are operational there, um, and yeah, in Zone 18, you can still um, get your free now and uh, pick it up from there. Awesome stuff. When we look ahead to the future, we've touched upon the mobility, we've touched upon uh, the the going green. What else is on the horizon from a free now point of view to ensure that it is still the go-to app when people need to get from A to B in any city in Ireland? Yeah, so I think um, as I mentioned earlier sustainable and shared once we start bringing all these different mobility options to people it, it's going to make you know it's going to make a change uh, to their lives how they travel it's going to give people the ability to maybe consider getting rid of that private car getting rid of the second car altogether um, and we're going to keep partnering with you know the best the safest um, operators that are out there to offer you that choice so whether you land in in Rome or you land in Hamburg you know you're just going to be able to open your free now app and it'll all be in there ready for you to go how much communication is there between the Free Now Ireland? Because obviously here in Ireland we're very familiar with it. People yeah. may not be fully aware of the other markets that you operate in. Yeah. Is there much collaboration and are you looking and learning at other markets around Europe? Absolutely, yeah. Like we, we Obviously we look at cross-border, what's happening, um, you know, where where we can um, make people aware of the Free Now app. And, and there'll be different campaigns running in each market. So um, there'll always be some kind of activation or advertising campaign going on to, to let people know we're there. That was Fiona Brady, Head of Operations at Freenow. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Pat Kenny on Tuesday morning. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.